Welcome to Financial Bliss with Kelly Long, where we get to the root cause of whatever it is that's holding you back from making the most of your finances. I'm your host, Kelly Long, a CPA, certified financial planner, and personal finance specialist. Whether you're feeling anxiety, fear, or just plain information overload, my goal here is to help you move forward with confidence and clarity and help you find your own version of financial bliss. Hello, hello, and welcome to Financial Bliss with Kelly Long. I'm your host, Kelly Long, and I'm a money coach on a mission to help smart, responsible women and couples to optimize their money in a shame-free, judgment-free, loving environment. For today's episode, I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit on an aspect of mindset that I find to be a little bit predictive of whether or not someone is going to be able to overcome something crappy that happens to them or if they're gonna let that thing or event continue to hold them back and basically define them. But before I do that, I wanna first explicitly point out some specific caveats to what I'm about to discuss. See, I'm gonna be talking a little bit about being a victim, and I recognize that sometimes people are legitimately victimized in horrible ways. I'm not trying to downplay those scenarios, things like being a victim of a hate crime or getting in an accident or ending up in foster care or being exploited by someone more powerful than you. Those situations, which typically cause legitimate trauma, are outside the scope of what I'm discussing. So just being clear here that I'm aware that there are levels of, I guess, victimhood, and I certainly don't wish to bypass those experiences or minimize them. However, it is important for me to discuss how I've seen the way that people deal with bad things happening to them, often very unfair things, and that there are very clear choices that can change the outcome. See, clients often come to me because they have a problem, which can be a tough pill to swallow, especially when it's someone else's fault. But once they understand their own power, they discover that they can overcome even the hardest of circumstances. In my professional experience around the financial aspects of these events, that's the difference between someone who achieves and someone who defines their life by the thing that happened to them. In fact, what I'm about to get into here can be summed up pretty well with the serenity prayer, which if you aren't familiar, basically goes, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, so here's what I have to say. I recently read Mark Manson's best-selling book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F, which if you haven't read it yet and you're a reader, it's definitely worth giving a go. The title's a bit misleading because What the book really does is it helps you to hone in on what you actually care about so that you can not care about the rest. And the part that stuck with me the most was a chapter on accepting responsibility. And in a nutshell, he says, the more we choose to accept responsibility in our lives, the more power we can exercise over our lives. Accepting responsibility for our problems is the first step to solving them. So what does this have to do with finding financial bliss? Well, in other words, when something crappy happens in your life, it means realizing that it's not your fault that it happened, but it is your responsibility to deal with it. For example, it's not your fault that your spouse cheated on you, but it is your responsibility to figure out if you're going to participate in the work needed to repair the relationship or if you're going to deal with the consequences of ending it. It's not your fault that your basement flooded twice this summer and your insurance doesn't cover that type of loss but it is your responsibility to get the damage fixed and see if there's anything you can do to keep it from happening again. It's not your fault that you were laid off right after you bought your first place, 
but it is your responsibility to figure out how to make ends meet so you can pay the bills until you find a new job. It's not your fault that your health insurance denied your legitimate claim and the bill is headed to collections, but it is your responsibility to file the paperwork and make the calls and fight to get the bill paid so you can keep your credit score from tanking. It's not your fault that your child's other parent bailed and won't pay child support, but it is your responsibility to support the child and choose whether to keep fighting for the funds you are legally owed or to let it go if necessary in order to save your sanity. It's not your fault that AI can make a big part of your job obsolete very quickly, but it is your responsibility to figure out how to adapt so you can continue to earn a living doing what you love and are best at. I could go on and on. But if there's one thing that I see that makes a difference in how people's lives turn out, it's how they choose to respond when things happen that aren't their fault, but are their responsibility. People who can embrace their own power and act on things within their control are the ones who are most likely to experience financial bliss and joy within their lives, despite the hard things that they encounter. So there are countless examples of people becoming a victim of things they don't deserve. And we can probably all think of someone who had something bad happen to them who just kind of rolled over and said, well, my life sucks now. Versus you can probably also think of people who instead chose to say, gosh, it sucks that this happened. I'm so pissed. But also, what can I do to figure this out so I can move past it as soon as possible? And if you think about it, those are the people we want to spend time with and who we really want to be. The thing is, your circumstances don't have to become your long-term reality, nor do they have to become your identity forever. Yes, grieve. When my second round of IVF failed and I knew my body couldn't handle further fertility treatments, I knew I needed to find a way to make peace with not being a mom. I grieved. I was triggery for a long time about happy ending fertility stories. I hardened my heart for a while. But then when eventually I was ready to move on, ready to find the silver lining and start crafting a different vision for the rest of my life, it's then that you have to ask, how can I fix this? If there's fixing that's needed and what can I do about it? What's within my power to accept this thing that I cannot change and what's within my power to change? How do I go about it? What's that next step? I mean, I totally get it. When something happens to you that's not your fault but does require you to take responsibility, it can be so rage-inducing. Sometimes it's not as life-changing as a failed fertility effort. For example, I recently got a collections notice for an ultrasound that I had performed over 18 months ago before I needed my gallbladder out. And this was at an in-network imaging facility, and I've since had multiple other services at this place. But for whatever reason, this first visit from forever ago had just been denied by my insurance company because they didn't like the way the bill was coded and the radiology company just went straight to collections because it was so far overdue. And I was so pissed. Like, why should I have to spend literally hours on the phone and online figuring out how to get this damn medical bill paid when I did the research before I went for service? I made sure I was in network. I did everything they told me to do to play the stupid insurance game. And then they don't play by the rules. And it's on me to fix it. So I filled out the paperwork and then the insurance company complied. But by then, the doctor's office had already sent the bill to collections, even though I had called them and said, hey, I'm appealing this. The insurance company agreed. So then I had to go through the process of disputing the collection while also having to figure out how to get my insurance company to get with the billing department of the radiology company. 
Five hours in, and I'm so frustrated that I just want to chuck it. Or bigger picture, going back in history several years when I ended up having to take on credit card debt because the guy I moved to Cincinnati with right after college basically disappeared two weeks in, and he left me with an apartment I couldn't afford and a year-long lease that I didn't even have the cash to break. It took me five years to recover financially from basically a broken promise, which was so unfair because I would have made entirely different financial decisions if I'd known he wasn't sure if he wanted to stay. But regardless of causation, my financial health is my own responsibility. I had a right to feel angry and put out, but that won't get the problem solved. And the reality is that in most cases like this, No one else really cares if it doesn't get solved, so it's truly up to you. Beyond that initial response of anger, which is typically a sign that you have a need that's not being met, more on that in a minute, staying angry only becomes a distraction or an additional hurdle to navigate when you're addressing the financial obstacles in your lives. So who does that anger serve? It's certainly not you. So yes, rage for a minute. Feel sorry for yourself if that helps at first. But taking that next step of accepting the responsibility to figure it out, that's the key to success. So here's how this plays out with clients that have explored working with me in the past. When I see people who are drowning in financial challenges, what I often see is someone who didn't want to take the responsibility for things that had happened to them that weren't their fault years ago. And if they're still not ready to take responsibility for fixing it, for whatever reason, there's not a whole lot that I can do as a money coach and financial planner to help. So I usually refer them to counseling. Where I see success with clients is when they find me because they have finally accepted that responsibility. They know they probably have a long road ahead to travel, but they've moved on from the anger and the victimhood identity and are ready to empower themselves with action and responsibility. The biggest challenge then can be when they've waited so long, years sometimes, to accept and take responsibility that it's incredibly frustrating because with time, it can become so much more painful, interest and fees and all the rolling effects of having bad credit. This often leads to a lot of I should haves or if onlys. And when this happens, part of my role as a coach is to just help you get all those out of your system because that's also just holding you back at this point. Like, yeah, could you potentially have a cushier savings account today if you'd taken steps a year ago to pay the credit card bills that your unemployed ex ran up before he up and left? Of course. But like, what good is it doing you now to beat yourself up over that? Not only is it not doing any good, it's actually getting in the way of getting to that cushier savings account sooner even now. So get it all out. I won't deny those feelings. But I'm also not going to tolerate a lot of self-flagellation over something that ultimately was completely outside your control. So what should you do instead? And why is it so important to address these issues sooner rather than later? And most importantly, how? How do you do this? Well, first of all, I want to talk for a minute about a non-financial book that has helped me significantly in all areas of my life. And it's called Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life. It's not the sexiest title but it's honestly one of the most influential books I've read outside of The Alchemist. Essentially, nonviolent communication is avoiding using words that imply judgment or binary right or wrong thinking. For example, I try not to say things like good emotions or bad emotions, as even joy can feel bad in some circumstances and anger, which I'm getting to, can be quite good when channeled well. So instead, I'll reference feeling uncomfortable or unpleasant feelings, I can't say whether a particular emotion that you're feeling is good or bad for you or to you, but I do know that there are emotions that probably make you feel unpleasant and some that make you feel 
pleasant. So by using that way of describing it, I'm not assigning any type of moralistic judgment to your feelings. I'm letting you decide, also providing a safe space of whatever works for you works. It's not right or wrong, good or bad. I could blather on about this particular topic for an entire episode, but my point in bringing it up here is surrounding when you feel anger in the context of something happening to you that's not your fault, but ends up being your responsibility to deal with. Because anger is a natural response. And when it comes to figuring out the next steps to taking responsibility for those things that make you angry, those things that you really wish didn't have to be your responsibility, I think you can use your anger as a clue for what steps to take. Because in the book, Nonviolent Communication, the author Marshall Rosenberg points out that particularly in the context of human interactions, feeling a sense of anger is usually a sign of a need you have that's not being met. So knowing that, you can use this to get curious at times when you feel angry to help you get your needs met a little better. You just have to step back and ask yourself, okay, what need do I have right now that isn't being fulfilled? And doing this exercise can really help you to reset and become more constructive and less emotional. So it basically helps to bring yourself out of that reptilian lizard brain and back into your more evolved, more modern, logical brain. So let's take my healthcare example because, man, I was livid when I got that collections letter which I obviously expressed with a few choice words that were between me, the kitchen counter, and the cat. But I already knew that I needed to take responsibility. So I asked myself, Kelly, what is it that your anger is telling you? What need isn't being met here? Then I could answer. Well, first of all, I need to know that the money I'm investing in my healthcare is properly serving me and that I can use my healthcare insurance without being fearful. That need was not being met. But also, I was going to have to take time away from doing other activities that I needed or wanted to do in order to deal with this. So to a certain extent, this issue was impeding upon my need for autonomy over my time. And once I discerned that, I then knew that I needed to take steps to solve the issue and ideally get my needs met. And here's what I did. First, I had to give myself a little pep talk. I knew that I needed to suck it up and deal with it. And being rude to somebody on the other end of the phone was not going to help anybody and was going to make it worse. So that would require me to have a step-by-step plan of action to step into my kind, this is not the other person's fault either, plan of action. So sometimes that first step is just a phone call. And even though I'm frustrated, I just got to do it because my health is important and so is my credit score. And then I also had to release my attachment to how I could have otherwise been spending my time. So acceptance, really. And then I worked to feel gratitude that I had the time to actually deal with this because I reminded myself that there are people who don't have that luxury. And these are often the people that end up bankrupt from medical bills that they legitimately didn't have to pay in the first place. And then finally, once I dealt with this, I had to accept that for 2024, I either need to explore another insurance plan or find a different provider for my imaging services because this turned out to be a recurring issue. All right, so I don't want to drag this out too much longer. But I do want to point out one other side effect that you might not realize can happen when you do take responsibility for things that aren't your fault. And this is often a secondary response that leads to engaging in sometimes irrational behavior to try and prevent a situation like this from ever happening again. So that can look like becoming an excessive saver in response to the fact that when you maybe lost your job right after you bought a condo, you ended up having to take on a second job while also sacrificing a lot of fun things like going out with friends, traveling, Other things like when I was struggling with debt, I never got my nails done. I never got a massage. And I basically forgot what the inside of TJ Maxx looked like. 
So the risk here is that the response can be so extreme in the other direction that you never allow yourself to enjoy your money even after the issue is solved because you so violently don't ever want to find yourself without optionality like you were in that initial situation. And this is where financial coaching with a little touch of financial therapy can be really helpful. When you have an unbiased professional who has no attachment to the financial decisions that you make, who can help you find that middle ground where you can safely spend some of the money you've saved while also knowing that like if you lose your job again, you won't find yourself scrapping like you did back in your 20s. So when I work with clients who find themselves saving out of a fear of poverty, probably because they were there at some point in their life, the first thing we do is actually the easy part. We run the numbers, we can get the logical point of view. Like, yes, you have enough money and savings to pay your bills for over a year. Is that realistic to think that you would be needing to tap your savings for over a year if you lost your job? Now, I should say, if you're the sole earner in a unique industry, or you have a role that is like really specialized, and you've got maybe a spouse who doesn't work outside the home and a bunch of kids at home, or you live in a house that would be tough to sell in a down market, maybe having a year of savings on hand is reasonable as kind of like your solutions account. But if you're single or you have a partner who also earns and you work in a job or an industry with skills that are easily transferable, maybe the only dependents you have are four-legged, you can probably get by with like six months, maybe even three of savings depending on your tolerance for risk and your tolerance for change should something happen to your income. So that said, once we run the numbers and I give like the logical side, then we got to convince your brain and your gut that this is true, right? So we have to engage in some spending challenges. Like I had one client who really wanted to buy a house in an expensive real estate market, but they were anchored to the price that they'd paid for their first place over 10 years ago in a much less expensive city. And so they were like this, the cost of homes is just exorbitant. So first of all, we had to do the math to prove that there was more than enough to afford this house. There was more than enough income, more than enough savings. And then we had to work up to the challenge of changing that anchor of what they could actually afford in housing. So yeah, the number was a big jump once they finally close on a house, but they were still totally financially secure and found that the jump in housing costs was not nearly as painful or unsafe as they had feared. From a non-financial perspective, this can look like the person who experiences a heartbreaking loss and after picking themselves up and taking responsibility for any fallout to get their life back, the secondary response is sometimes to shore up the heart to avoid ever risking loss of love again, whether it was a partner or a pet or sometimes even a really fulfilling job. Regardless of the situation, the challenge here becomes, first of all, realizing that no matter what you do, no matter how much money you put in the bank, no matter how much you spend to keep your pup in tip-top shape, no matter how diligent you are about showing your partner that you love and care for them, you can't control when things that aren't your fault happen. Jobs get eliminated. Basements flood. Dogs get sick. People change their minds. And while we can beat ourselves up over all the things we think we could have done differently to prevent that thing from happening, the reality is that life will still happen, most likely in a way you can't foresee. So the best you can do is build your resilience. Work on making financial choices that lead to flexibility and optionality in life. And understand that when bad things happen, regardless of your level of fault, if you want to move on in life and experience freedom and contentment and empowerment, you'll have to accept the responsibility of dealing with it. Okay, I'm off my soapbox for now, but if you feel like life has beat the crap out of you and you're finally feeling like you have the energy to start fighting back, I want to help you. Head over to financialblisscoach.com and sign up for a session. While you're there, visit the checklist page, which you can find at financialblisscoach.com checklist and download your free copy of the Get Your Money Life Together checklist. 
which if you're not really sure where you need to start, that can be a great tool to at least help you brain dump all the money and life tasks that may need to be addressed in time. And you can get started on that all on your own. Okay, that's all I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found a nugget that helps. I would love to hear from you. So please feel free to send me a DM on Instagram at Financial Bliss Coach, or you can visit my website at financialblisscoach.com. But for now, this has been Kelly Long, and I hope this has helped you on your journey to finding financial bliss. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Financial Bliss with Kelly Long. I hope you found a nugget to help you move toward your own financial bliss. Please take a moment to rate this podcast if you haven't already. Please note that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice, tax, investment, or otherwise. Kelly C. Long Consulting LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages rising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast.